Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode, an interview with Welsh filmmaker Andrew Jones. Like I said, this is a bonus episode, so it's not as long as our others, um, and it's great to sit down with a Welsh filmmaker, uh, a Welsh genre filmmaker, uh, one of the most prolific filmmakers actually working in the industry today. Uh, we get to discuss his films and uh, the state of play in terms of independent horror, um, fascinating guy, brilliant conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy. So uh, let's dive in after the intro. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by a very, very special guest on this bonus episode. I am joined by the one and only Mr. Andrew Jones, Welsh filmmaker, producer, director, writer, and, um, well, prolific in all all of these aspects. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. No, great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely no problem. Now, the... I was just sort of looking over, you know, your your film, uh, your filmography, and uh, it is fair to say it is it's impressive. It, it's impressive. Your output is incredible, incredible. So where you know where do you find the time? <laughs> um, well, maybe my wife would say I don't. <laughs> um, you know, okay, but uh, yeah, busy all the time. I mean, it's. Um, we, we've been lucky to uh, have an opportunity where our investors invest in a slate of films across each year rather than just one. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, I've just uh, I'm happy to take that opportunity to make as many films as possible. Um, you know, I sort of grew up with uh, you know Roger Corman and uh, that kind of you know Charles Band and that, yeah. and that sort yeah. of mentality to. You know, you make a lot of films rather than uh, just one every couple of years and stuff. And, you know, I understand on, on bigger budgets you need the time and, and things like that. But for us, you know, my sensibility has always been, you know, low budget uh, stuff. So I'm happy to, to make several of those a year. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, you know, um, I was, I've been lucky enough this week that I've been able to sort of catch up on a, on, on a couple of your, uh, on a couple of your films and, uh, I'm looking for, I'm really, I'm looking forward to sort of delving a little bit further into your back catalogue as well. Um, yeah. but in terms of, you mentioned Roger Corman and those type of things. So where, where does your, where does your earliest inspiration for filmmaking come from? Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, it was obviously a very young age. I mean, I tell people now, because obviously I started watching horror movies when I was like five years old. And, um, <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people are just like, oh my God, that's really you know, bad. But it, it actually wasn't, because what happened was I was, uh, I went to, they used to obviously have those VHS rental stores. And, yes. uh, you know, I went to one of those in, in Swansea and, uh, I was just struck when I looked at all the covers, how much more adventurous and strange the horror and B movie stuff was, you know. Yeah. And 
as opposed to like you know the cartoon covers and yeah. things. <laughs> so I was uh, I just was trying to convince my parents to let me watch them, and they it took them a while, um, yeah. but then they finally decided right okay if you're really keen to watch these, what we'll do is sit down with you and explain to you um, you know as the film is going on, so I don't kind of confuse it with real life. <laughs> they, my father would sit with me and explain how they did it and and that there's prosthetic effects going on here and this is all um you know someone has made this this is just like entertainment and stuff and um so they sat down with me and i remember one day it was uh friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street back to back and uh, those are the ones i wanted to watch and uh they sat down and explained it to me and it was the right move because instead of just being frightened as in, oh, this, this is a real thing, I, I was instantly fascinated by, oh my God, so someone makes these and then I'd read the credits at the end. I was like, what do all these people do? And, um, you know, so it was like they started a fascination with filmmaking for me because, uh, they very much made it clear that it was a, you know, an entertainment and things like that. But I mean, that is kind of, you know, being enamored with the cover is yes. very much kind of what um, my films are like now in the sense of, uh, you know, they are, we have a great emphasis on the marketing and, uh, you know, even if that is a little bit familiar, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's kind of what attracts the, the sales and attracts the interest. And I'm okay with that because that's how I got into it. My cinematic experiences weren't in the cinema. They were in the video shop, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it all, when I look back at it, it all ties into, to what I do now. And, you know, cause there's some people who, their first uh, experiences with film were like watching Star Wars or something. Yeah. So then as a filmmaker, they become enamored with the idea of making something epic, whereas some of my early experiences with film is watching, you know, really grimy, low-budget videos. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, I remember, you know, watching stuff that, you know, the cover is brilliant and obviously the, the film is, is quite a grimy, low-budget film and I love that, you know. Yeah. But some some people, you know, uh, don't like that sort of thing but, you know, I always loved it so it makes sense that I kind of... There's a through line between how I first got into it and what I do now, you know, like see it being so and right back then, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, and it's very, very true. The, the cover work and the artwork on uh, on some of your on on pretty much all of your movies actually is you know is really good. I absolutely love uh, the cover for Werewolves of the Third Reich. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a great cover, and instantly it sort of um, you are transport. You you get that sort of uh, that grindhousey, um, you know, great sort of exploitation feel to it. It's it, and it's a great title. It's a yeah. really, really, really good, good, solid title. That, you, that, that instantly sort of you think, oh, I, I need to check this out. Yeah, because um, that's that's the marketing thing. Because obviously, like when we work with distributors on the, the marketing, at one point they said separately we need a werewolf film and we need a war film. And I said, well, combine the two, and uh, we've got something interesting. And uh, 
you know, it's very much like those, because, uh, you know, my frame of reference might be a bit different to others, but I'm looking at, at uh, like, they used to have these macaroni war films, which were like yes. these yeah. Italian yeah. rip-off, uh, you know, films in the, God, I think it was back 60s, 70s, where, you know, you had, like, a big Hollywood war film, and then it, Italy would do their rip-off, you know, and then they yeah. obviously... That did that with like the horror films as well and uh, I was always really fascinated as much as I love things like The Exorcist and Jaws but what I love even more is the Italian rip-offs of them yeah yeah <laughs> I mean one of my favorites is uh, Apocalypse Mercenaries yeah I absolutely and and you know I think you know because the I think it's fair to say that you can pretty much see the entire film via the trailer yeah. Um, and the tra- I remember watching the trailer, and I remember actually watching it. Um, first time seeing that was on a copy of um, Jackie Chan's Armor of God yeah. that I rent, and seeing that, and just thinking, this is the greatest film ever made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's know. just it's just something about that kind of um, you know. I don't know. I always quite like the the maverick idea that you know a big studio can can make uh, you know these event films but there's there's a whole industry of kind of low budget filmmakers who then try to emulate that success albeit with like a quarter of the budget <laughs> I, I just like that I don't know I, that's always appealed to me that's why I really don't mind doing what I do now I, I just like that that spirit you know and uh, trying to you know get because I mean ultimately the the amazing thing that I always found in the old days is that they'd get these these rip-off films, no matter where they were made, they'd end up on the shelves with yeah, the films yeah. they were ripping off, you know, they were on the VHS shelves with the very big-budget films that they were ripping off, and that was, that's kind of what we do now, you know, we make them for, like, next to nothing in, in Wales, and then, you know, suddenly they're on the shelves in America, you know, next to the films that you know they're kind of influenced by which yeah. Is yeah and i mean sort of in terms of like some of you you mentioned uh, sort of you, you know a double bill of friday the 13th and a nightmare on elm street what are some of your you know your favorites from back in the day that you sort of go back and revisit and uh, you know always hold that, that that special place for you yeah i mean obviously i i started with the now, like the mainstream horror franchises, so things like that, and Halloween were the, because they were the most kind of readily available. Yeah. Um, so obviously you see, saw those, but, uh, what was great back in the day is, is that then you could find also, because the VHS boom was, was so, you know, lucrative for indie filmmakers, you could then find things by like Charles Band and yeah. Roger yeah. Corman, and then some of those were, uh, always stuff I looked out for, the full moon stuff. And, yeah. Because, you know, their output as well was so, uh, you know, varied as well. Um, Sometimes wouldn't realize it was their film until you see the credits, you know. And uh, so, you know, stuff like Puppet Master and things like that were great. And, you know, what I loved as well is because in those days you didn't have the internet and stuff, that things were a surprise to you. So you'd only get something based on the cover. And, like, I remember watching um, Sleepaway Camp. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I, I, I rented that because it, it was a like a camp slasher film, which mm. was like Friday the 13th. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And I remember, you know, throughout the film, it's sort of quite a standard uh, slasher. And then there's a twist at the end, you know. Um, yeah, somewhat. It, yeah, incredibly shocking. I remember I was like six years old 
saw that and just didn't understand what I was like, whoa, my mind is blown. <laughs> you know, and that was a surprise. I had no idea. Now you can see it all over YouTube, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, in them days, that's what I loved. It's like you, you get something on the, on the cover and then it would be a surprise to you. And, um, you know, that, that is the, you could find these, these low budget gems and, you know, the video nasties as well. I always remember like, you know, the idea that you, People saying you shouldn't watch them just made me want to watch them. Yes. And, uh, so, you know, it was like, that's, that's what I loved. There was a sense of discovery to that. And, uh, I don't know, these days they're kind of, it's all over the internet what the film is before you see it. So there's not a great deal of surprise. Yeah. And I mean, that, that is sort of, I, in some ways it's great that we've, you know, there is, you know, we have a generation that is completely sort of, um, everything is instant. But there yeah. is, but I do think that they've missed out on that sort of, you know, going to the video start shop and sort of trawling the, you know, your various, I mean, I think I was, that, back in the day, I think I was, you know, both me and my, me and Gareth and lots of our friends, we were, we were members of like six or seven different video, you know, shops where we'd sort of scour regularly to sort of, uh, you know, to go and collect things and sort of knowing that, you know, oh, this one, they've got a really good martial arts section. This one's got a really good horror section. And, you know, yeah. And I think people are missing out on that and sort of discovering those hidden gems that sort of um, that stick with you. You know, I'll I'll never forget the cover of Deadly Spawn. Yeah. You know, and I mean, again, that's a great and it's a great film. And I think it's so often um, overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, great, great film. Yeah, there's, there's loads of them. I mean, uh, God, I could, there's so many things now. But I tell you what, what is good about now is that they have started doing, I know, um, there's like these, a lot of boutique labels who do release some of these old gems yeah. on like Blu-ray and stuff, which, like I've seen things like the Microwave Massacre being released on <laughs> Blu-ray and HMV and I'm just like, this is amazing. You know, it's like, I love the fact that because of the passage of time and nostalgia, these films are now considered like cult classics when at the time it's like people, you know, there was, there was not much love for them at all. And yeah. I, people were like, why are you watching that? And, but it was like now they, they sort of with the passage of time, things become cult classics, you know, which is great. So in terms of sort of, um, your own filmmaking, where do you, where do you get like sort of, cause obviously you, you direct, you write, you produce, you edit, um, where does your sort of, um, how do you come to like, come to a storyline or is it, um, you say, you know, you, you know, you sat around one day or you think, oh, that might make a good idea. You know, where do you, where does your inspiration for a story come from? It's, ba- it's basically, um, uh, we, we talk with the, I, ba- my main sort of daily thing is I am always talking to the distributors and, you know, I'm always getting sales figures sent to me and trends told and things like that. So for me, it's all about how do I, you know, pitch it, an idea that I actually want to do, but that also falls in line with what they're looking for, mm. uh, which is very much kind of what um, Charles Band did when when VHS become very big. That's what he started to, to do. He kind of worked backwards often from like, you know, a poster idea or, a, you know, a sort of concept idea. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, and it was always about like the retailers saying, oh, we've, uh, you know, we're looking for this kind of film. And it's not like they, they don't tell you what the story is, but they tell you, you know, the kind of subject they're looking for. So, 
you know, for instance, like, uh, you know, they, if they say to me, uh, you know, I want a prison film. So they wanted a prison film and then I was like, all right, okay. So, uh, what prison stories am I interested in? And I thought, well, you know, Alcatraz. So I'd like to do a film about that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's sort of it's it's more about just they give you the genre or the subject or the general sort of gist and then you know I've got to think then you know what am I actually interested in in doing then basically within that um arena really so uh it's sort of very much a, a two-way thing because you know, what I often as well have noticed is that I, I do come up with ideas that are, um, you know, a bit different and even a bit outlandish. But sometimes um, you struggle to get those greenlit by distributors because they, they don't have a precedent. Yes. Yeah. So the the um, why, why and a lot of people complain that there's not a, a massive amount of risk taken in uh, the films that studios or distributors greenlit. And it happens at all levels of the industry. And the reason why is because <clears throat> they like to have uh, comparable films, you know, things they can compare to yeah, uh, when they're yeah. marked in it. And it's not necessarily the distributor's uh, fault. It's more like the, the retailers or the exhibitors are always looking for something that can be described as so-and-so meets so-and-so, you know. So yeah, they're always yeah. looking for um, something familiar that they know how to market. And, um, so, you know, you've got to try and give them, give them that in a way. Um, you know, so sometimes we have like, you know, um, butted heads a little bit because yeah. obviously what, what I wanted to do ultimately with the film is not necessarily what it, what it was initially agreed to be marketed as. So you yeah. Get, yeah. But you, you do try and just, just tick a few boxes and, and give, you know, the marketable elements needed. But ultimately you do have to sort of go off then and make your own story and, and trust that, that that's what you wanted to say, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it, and I mean, you can understand from a sort of, you know, for, from a financial point of view, it's much, much easier to sort of um, to take a take a risk on something that you know that quant- you know you know quantity quanti- quant- quantitative. Put in my marketing head on because I, you know, yeah. that, my, I do have a, bit of a degree in business, oddly. Um, yeah. But you know, taking a risk on something that you can quantify with numbers and figures, sort of, cause you're less, you're more likely to do that than you are with sort of um, uh, an artistic whim. Whereas, you know, yeah. the sort of, it, it's great that there are people out there with great artistic visions and those types, but actually, um, there is something to be said about, um, you know, giving people what they want and, you know, yeah. and there is a market out there for, you know, for all types of uh, genre. And I think the sort of, it's, it's good to know that, um, in the market today that we can still see great, um, independent filmmaking that's going on and sort of, um, I was listening to a really fascinating, um, interview the, um, Friday actually with Lloyd Kaufman, yeah. um, talking about sort of how trauma at the moment are really, really struggling to get things made. Yeah. Um, and he, 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 you know, when it, he always fascinates me, Lloyd Kaufman, because he's, you know, he's sort of, he's able to talk about, um, auteur theory and then exploding shit over somebody's face it's it's that, <laughs> yeah. it's that sort of he's he's one of those type of characters but actually there are very, there are so few genuine independent filmmakers out there now 
um, yeah. because everybody is tied into to a larger corporation. Um, yeah. Do you agree with that kind of idea that actually it's it, it you know there are there are fewer and fewer independent filmmakers out there, or is it that with the digital age now? Um, there are more, the, the, you know, filmmakers have generally more freedom to go and do what they want to do. Yeah, I think um, there's there's a lot of filmmakers out there because obviously the technology means that, you know, anyone technically can go and make a film very cost effectively because, you know, they can buy all of the equipment very, you know, modest prices these days. But I think that in terms of the market, um it, it's getting actually pickier um, in terms of what uh, they will take on distributors and retailers, and it is literally down to um, you know the change in format. So, for instance, like th- there is a myth that DVD is dead. It's not dead. It's mm-hmm. just incredibly uh, streamlined and much pickier. Um, so your only market now for DVDs is mainly supermarkets, you know. So yeah. what happens then is that um, they're very picky about what they take on because as well in terms of independence, you know, you, you get a lot of independent stuff in the supermarket, but it's only a qu- not even a quarter of the hundreds or thousands of submissions they would have got every yeah. quarter, uh, you know, from people who are trying to get their their film on the shelves. So it's just become more of a, a kind of, um, it's just a little bit more of a smaller sort of arena and harder to get in. So that ties in again to why I'm so calculated with the marketing and always try to be because otherwise you just don't get the, the film stocked in, uh, in, in the supermarkets because DVD can still be a great market for independent film if you can get, because the difference is, is, um, you get as well as people who are genre aficionados who you know will buy your film that's still only technically let's say about 20-30% of people are really into that kind of film a lot of the other people who buy it would be casual consumers as they call them which are people who just uh, buy it on a whim when they just shopping, doing their grocery shopping and they just see the cover and buy it Um, and obviously that's why you get quite a disparity between people who know what to expect from this kind of film and people who don't yeah. and uh, don't, don't quite know the difference between studio and indie content and they're just like oh my god what is this I'm used to Michael Bay yeah. um, you know so it's kind of um, you know you, you get a disparity of reaction because of that but um, you know I think you, you do need to be quite calculated with the marketing it's not actually about you know I think there's many people making films, but in terms of getting them into supermarkets and actually getting them to sell, that's a whole other story. Yeah. And I think that that's the big difference is like, I think, you know, cause there's many filmmakers out there who, you know, much more talented than I, but, um, they, they don't have the, the eye for the marketing. Um, so therefore the film, maybe doesn't, you know, get onto the the retail platforms or doesn't sell, you know, as it deserves to because mm. you know, a lot, there's a lot of quality independent stuff, but it's actually not uh, 
to be honest, they they will much, they would much prefer to take something that was marketed very well, and they don't they don't watch the films. You know, yeah. the retailers don't really watch the films. They see a trailer and an artwork, and they decide on that. Mm, yeah, uh, what, whether they're going to stock the film or not. And it's often the same with distributors as well. There is this Hollywoodized idea that um, you know someone will take the time to watch your film and really assess it. They don't have the time for it. They mm. really don't. They have so much content and so much work to get through they don't necessarily have time to sit down with your film and, and assess it they're actually just looking at your marketing materials so you know your poster and your trailer is everything really you know yeah. and, and that's kind of why i've taken the route because you know my early filmmaking experiences were uh, I wrote and directed a film that was produced by others and then it didn't get released for a number of reasons. Yeah. But because of that experience, I was like, well, I'm never going to let this happen again. I'm going to produce my own films and they're all going to get released because I don't want to, everyone to go through all that hard work and then the film never comes out, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And I don't want an investor who's, uh, you know, invested their time in me and their money and uh, I don't want them to lose their money. So, um, yeah. You know, it's just basically that was, you know, that's the idea, you know, that it all does come down to I want the film to the films to be seen and I want people's work to be, you know, rewarded in that way. You know, um, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, I mean, that's, it, it's, you know, it's um, it's uh, I think Canon as well, the great sort of Golan uh, uh, yeah. The Golden Globus, uh, uh, cousin, they were cousins, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were cousins, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they would often take their film to Cannes with nothing more than a poster. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, and they, you know, the story of, you know, they'd have two sets of, um, of scripts for the two Chucks. And they would yeah. just sort of balance them out and sort of sw- swatch them around. And, you know, it's, you know, and yeah. again, it's be, it is being very, very market savvy. Now, yeah. you spoke about your sort of, your early sort of, um, you really sort of starting filming. Where did where did that journey for you getting all X Factor now? Where did that journey start for you now? For that, in terms of like your early sort of early filmmaking experiences. Yeah, but it was basically because in in like the the early two thousands, the there was like the advent of digital technology had kind of made it possible to just you know get like a consumer camera and go out and shoot something. And so I started doing that, and it was literally just very DIY and just learning that way, just taking a you know a camera and then. Um, you know, I think the first thing I did was like a little homemade film that was like a drama and stuff and just doing that with people I knew um, locally and stuff like that and from a theatre group and things like that and yeah. just trying to learn through that. It was very rough, but, you know, you try and learn. And then I got um, quite lucky, which was I'd advertised... Uh, this film I wanted to do um, about homeless people, like a, a bit of a gritty drama. And the reason why I started with gritty dramas was because they seemed the, the cheapest to make because it's yeah. just pe- people talking and <laughs> people arguing. And uh, obviously I'd seen things like, um, you know, Larry Clark's Kids and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, well, you know, that's something you could do cheaply, you know, with just uh, local people and stuff like that. So I was in that sort of milieu trying to do that kind of thing. And, uh, and I got a couple of actors who were on EastEnders were very interested in, in this script and stuff like that. And then he brought in like a financer. Mm. 
to uh, to to like make it for a six figure budget, and it was just uh, you know a tremendous stroke of luck, really. Um, but ultimately, you know, as I said, it didn't work out on the back end. You know, the the process of making it was good, but um, yeah. you know, it, and I learned a lot. I certainly had a lot to learn, but I certainly learned a lot because technically, my first time on a professional set then was as the director. You know, yeah. which was quite quite a daunting thing. It's but, a big um, step. Yeah, so it was it was like a trial by fire, and you sort of try and learn, and then you learn about you know um, how to do things. And to be honest, the you know I did other things then after that as well because that didn't work out, and in terms of didn't get released. And then um, there were other things I did like you know associate producing on other projects and trying to just get a um, a feel for how everything was done. And to be honest, the conclusion I came was that I could streamline this whole process and just um, take away a lot of um, the waste um, that I see in terms of, you know, there were, I understand why you need like, you know, big budgets and massive crews for things like action and, you know, epic movies, of course, but, you know. Uh, the stuff I really wanted to do was low budget horror and I thought you know I can streamline this whole process what I'm learning here is that I could do this with less people and it could be more of a compact uh, set and and I could get away with that you know for for this sort of thing Um, so you know that's kind of how it evolved it was about trying to think it was about like six or seven years of just making a lot of mistakes and, <laughs> and uh, you know getting pockets of experience here and there. I got some experience writing during that time getting some screenplays uh, done as well and things like that and it was just sort of six or seven years the the first you know just learning about everything and then in 2011, then I started, uh, got to know, um, you know, an accountant, uh, Rob Graham, who had gone into producing and, uh, he's amazingly savvy at the business side of, mm. uh, of the film industry. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from him and then basically said to him, you know, I can make, I fancy that I can make a whole film for like six grand. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, really small amount. And he was like, you know, obviously as someone who has done the accounts on big budget things, he was like, you could do a whole film for that. He was, you know, incredibly surprised. Yeah. But um, I said, yeah, I think we can do it. And obviously, um, I was stung from the idea of, you know, a film not getting released. So I thought, well, what's the ultimate way to ensure that you'll get the the film released? And, and that was we looked at um, public domain titles, which... Yes were quite well known um and because they were public domain obviously you know it's uh they're free to use so um we we took night of the living dead and did like a welsh version of it <laughs> yes i have I, yes yeah which was funny um but you know and it was all it was all just an experiment but um you know made the whole film i think it was for like five or six grand in the end and then um yeah, it was like insanely low budget, but um, because of uh, what we did, which was we had a, a, a brand name sort of title, and yeah. we got we got a poster done that was how the DVD would look on the shelf. Yes, and then I basically just took that to, to distributors, and um, 
we managed to get some really good deals out of it, like Lionsgate picked it up for America, and uh, in the UK here, they released it in, like, Cineworld multiplexes and stuff. <laughs> that's just that's really... Yeah, it's insane, because I think uh, that year, I'm trying to remember what was on, but I'm sure there was, like, a Twilight film and a Bond film, and then there was our, like, dear cheap Welsh zombie film, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> No, it was uh, an amazing introduction, really, and show it, it. It it basically showed me that you know if you if you market something with the right title and the right kind of artwork approach, that you're gonna it's gonna you know reach much further than than its budget deserves to really you know yeah. so it's, um you know that was the introduction and then. Uh, from there, uh, you know, we just kind of, obviously, the, you know, investors came in then and were like, you make these films for how much? Oh, well, here we go. You have some money, you know, because it was so low risk, you know, um, particularly when, you know, you factor in tax credits that investors are title, entitled to as well in the UK. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's it's just really not a risk. And obviously our budgets are a bit higher these days, but they're still at a level where... Um, no one's going to lose big, you know what I mean? It's like the, the risk is um, spread across many people. And, um, you know, they, the film would really have to, you know, we don't need to, to do blockbuster business to be profitable. And, um, you know, that's kind of how you, you know, can make so many films is just basically keep it low risk you know and and make sure that that no one is going to uh going to lose big if the film doesn't do big business yeah, yeah. it's all just you know this you know that's that was the way of, of looking at it you know just keep the risk low and then you get to make films because that's ultimately all i'm looking to do i want to make as many films as i can which, and that allows me to you know you know which in, you know in, in so many ways you know is very much the Coleman model isn't it is that yeah. you know so i mean in terms of sort of what are some of the technical challenges in terms of sort of what you were um, you know, on a, on a, on a shoot, sort of, you know, in terms of your crew, you're not going to have massive heads of department. You're not going to have huge departments. How you know, what are the practicalities that you're facing whilst you're filming? Yeah, well, basically we, we have, we always have a crew of between sort of about 12 to 15 people. It's never more than that. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a case of everyone is big, you know, we've had to sit, uh, pretty much the same crew for a couple of years now and so everyone's like a, a family you know and that helps because obviously um you know everyone just multitasks and yeah. whereas on a big film people are very conscious of staying in their lane and they have to just do this role and that's their only job whereas you know on a on our films you know everyone just mucks in you know what i mean and mm. uh, you do you know i i you know carry boxes to the van at the end of the day there's uh you know a production designer will you know take the clap aboard without thinking you know what i mean yeah. the the guy who does the lights will go and help carry you know some props in do you know what i mean it's yeah. like yeah it's just like uh everyone is just mucking in and uh that's the difference you just got a small team of people who aren't staying in their lane they just make sure that everything that that needs to get done is done and it's just becomes you know a family atmosphere you sort of bond through that because uh you know it's, it's a short space of time typically we you know we shoot the films between eight and 12 days has been you know, 
think 12 days has been the longest of the shoots and um but most of the time it's like eight or nine days and um you know it's uh it's quite a you know that's quite a, uh, a hectic schedule but you know it, it it's incredibly relaxed oddly enough yeah. um because everyone is just used to it and I know a lot of actors who are new to our setup when they come in, they're just like, wow, I'm amazed how relaxed it is considering how much, you know, work we get through each day and stuff like that. And, um, that's, that's really it. I mean, the, the challenge for me when we actually shoot is time, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, kind of money, money is, is always your challenge in pre-production, yeah. trying to work out your budget and make it stretch as far as it can go. But when you're actually shooting, it's always time because obviously if you're only shooting in, you know, eight or nine days and, and, you know, it does, sometimes you do have to sacrifice some th things like, you know, for instance, um, in terms, you know, in terms of that schedule, you've got to say to yourself, okay, I've got enough time to maybe do like three set pieces in this film but i can't do a wall-to-wall -wall action film because that's you know i don't have the time mm, or anything yeah, like that yeah. so you do have to sort of tailor the script to that and make something that you know sometimes it gets a bit talky i guess because you know talk is cheap <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it is literally like you know a bunch of people talking is the is the fastest and cheapest thing you can do on a low budget um but we are trying this year we have been really happy with we've evolved it a little bit and just you know because we're uh you know we've sort of been around a while now and we're learning how to manage our time better. The the films are getting livelier, if you know what I mean. There, yeah. There's kind yeah. of a little bit more action or a bit, few more set pieces in to the point where, you know, the next one we're really, um, you know, we've really flipped the ratio where you've only got a few dialogue scenes and then the majority is going to be, um, you know, killing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a slasher film. So... Um, you know, we, we're just learning and, and kind of, uh, evolving the, the thing, but that is, that is always the challenge, uh, technically speaking. It's like everyone's astute and everyone is, works very hard and does a great job, but it's always like, what can we, you know, what can we do within this very tight time frame, you know? And the reason it, it's, it's such a small tight frame, it, it does come back to budget. That's what we can afford. You know, we can afford to pay everyone for that amount of time and we can afford to, uh, higher locations for that amount of time and, mm. and that's that's kind of the uh, the sweet spot for our budget eight to ten days type of thing is kind of uh, as much as we can afford basically I mean it's quite interesting obviously you sort of you, you almost have a, the same sort of um, core uh, troop of actors um, that you work with um, on a lot of your films does that also help develop a bit of a shorthand when you're on set that you're able to sort of yeah. Yeah, very much. I mean, because for me, it's just a case of, you know, when you find people who are willing to, um, you know, who are so astute and good, good at doing the work within the time frame you need and, you know, they're, they're good people to have on set. You just want to keep them, you know, and, uh, you, you have to change it up, uh, you know, uh, here and there, obviously, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I do try and keep uh, a lot of the same people just because it's an extension of the crew in terms of, um, you know, that family vibe and everyone being familiar and everyone understanding that, 
you know, because the most valuable thing when you're working on a tight time frame is actors who are like prepared, know their lines, yeah. you know, know what the scene needs to be. Because we 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 talk mostly in pre-production, you know, we we have discussions about you know uh, what is needed in pre-production. So then when you get on the set, you know, you're just ready to go. And um, strangely enough, though, we do end up improvising a lot of stuff, you know, considering. Mm that um you know we're on such a tight time frame we do actually end up um you know making a lot of stuff up because when you've got everyone there i love the idea of you just see something better you know than what you wrote when you're on your own and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it becomes just, uh, it becomes organic then doesn't it it's yeah, just absolutely. And that's, that's the, those are the actors I try and work with the most. People who, uh, you know, I, I can just look at a scene and think, oh, we can come up with something better here. And then we come up with an idea that's better. And I love those actors who are up for that, you know, mm. and don't, don't get scared if you uh, deviate from the script. An actor who knows the script inside out, but is also willing to just change it at a moment's notice and still be able to remain in character with that is brilliant, you know. And I always, the stuff I enjoy most about the films we make are, are the stuff we made up on set you know? yeah yeah and I mean sort of speaking from sort of uh, from a th- from a theatre background and being on stage on, in, in the theatre there is that there is something quite sort of magical about that moment where you just take it just that little step to the left or a step to the right and sort of and you get people who can go with you and yeah. feed it it's great it's a great sort of it's, it's, yeah. it's an incredible buzz yeah, that's the stuff I enjoy the best, you know, uh, just when there's a team of people on set and we just, you know, we just come up with something new or we try something and it's different and it's it's interesting. I love that, you know. Um, and we have done, um, you know, there are some films where it's been remarkably improvised considering uh, we've uh, had such a short space of time just because it was, you know, it was working out, you know. Mm, yeah. I mean, looking at your, you know, like I said, you know, your incredible schedule at the moment, um, you've got some absolutely fascinating product, uh, projects coming up. The one that sort of uh, jumped uh, straight out to me was Frankenstein versus Dracula. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, that's, that, that, is a sort of, that is a great, you know, that, what a great title. Yeah, I mean, we've got, like, so many films in development, because um, what happens is we basically, you know, because the idea pitching is as prolific as the producing, so, you know, sometimes I'll come up with 10, 20 concepts, you know, in, in a document and put them forward to um, to the distributors, and they... You know, we'll select one or two of them that, that they want to do, um, that particular year. So, um, it's sometimes quite a process because we just throw so many things onto the development slate that, uh, you're never guaranteed what will get made first because, um, you know, the distributors pick them really. But that's, that's one of the projects along with several others that we've, you know, had on the slate and, uh, you know, that have kind of been pre-approved as being interesting, but, um, you know, I'm not sure when it would get like the green light to be produced because often what happens is other things come up. Yeah, yeah. That, um, that they want first and, um, you know, uh, usually as well, what I've noticed recently is that, you know, we've, we've had great success with releasing similarly, I guess it's like the asylum model. Yeah, uh, the mockbuster. 
Yeah, so it's like we haven't done full-on mockbusters, but something with a similar theme being released on uh, DVD at the same time as something with that theme being released in the cinema is yeah. actually done quite well for us. I mean, we did uh, we did one that was like uh, we put this film Jurassic Predator out where at the same time as Jurassic World Two yes came out and um, it. It was one of our best sellers, you know. So um, the timing was quite important. So a lot of the time, the projects that get bumped to the front are stuff that they know something with that theme is going to come out next year at some point uh, mm-hmm. in the cinemas. So, for instance, like, you know, um, I know next year, um, you know, we, we, we made a Bundy film. Yes. Uh, yeah. And obviously, there's one that's got Zac Efron in it. I think it is. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So they're, they're, you know, they're obviously going to be trying to trail that with our film now. So they like they asked us to prioritize that in post production. I was editing three films at the same time, <laughs> and they said, "I'll oh, finish that one first. So Who said like, men can't multitask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. That was that was the biggest multitasking. Three films at the same time editing. I had to. Um, remember what tone each film had <laughs> there was a there was a war film a killer doll film and then a, a like a serial killer drama like and so it was quite uh, funny trying to take off you know different yeah, days yeah you gotta remember no this you know this isn't supposed to be funny <laughs> did, did you ever have those moments where everything blurred into one and you sort of realized that you'd made a, a killer doll war movie with the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it was basically I, the the character names you start forgetting the character names that's what i noticed so like on my notes it's all the actors names rather than the character names <laughs> <laughs> just start forgetting them because you've got so many uh things going on but uh yeah, you know, it seems like uh, there's, you know, that that that's definitely one project that uh, you know I'd love to do um, at a certain point. But it's always about um, you know the trends and what's coming out, and often things get bumped down the line, and sometimes they come back to them and revisit them later. You know, yeah, like yeah. the, I did a, a Manson project this year, which that was a case of circling back to it after about five or six years because. Um, I wanted to do that years ago. Well, of course, uh, Tarantino has got his, his his Manson film coming out now, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's why they greenlit it, um, because I've been wanting to do that for years. And they were like, oh, no, I don't know, don't know about that. And then um, suddenly um, next year, Tarantino's going to have a Manson-themed film out. And they were like, oh, remember that Manson film we wanted to do? You can do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, OK. Uh, so... Um, you know that's that's cool. Sometimes they circle back around after years, and um, and you know a project that I've long wanted to do becomes possible. Because mm. um, Bund- the Bundy thing was another one. I always wanted to do something about that as well. And then you know just the timing was right because they knew that there was this other Zac Efron film that might um, bring a greater awareness of the case again in the yeah, yeah. Bob- culture so um they were like oh you can do that now so you know there's a f- there's loads of ideas i'd love to do but i gotta be patient sometimes i think they'll uh they'll circle back around yeah. it well they always say that if you stand still long enough everything catches up with you so, uh, <laughs> so do you draw a lot of your inspiration from real life horror and sort of real life events around sort of uh, you know like you mentioned manson you mentioned bundy are they the sort yeah. of yeah Basically, it's um, it's just sometimes these trends come along, and, and what happened was, 
you know, what you usually find is that as soon as something you've done is uh, successful for the distributors, they're they're up for trying that again. Then, so um, you know, the um, Cabin Twenty Eight was a true life, a true crime, um, real life uh, horror story, mm. and because that was successful, they they um, were interested in other true crime things. Then, which obviously I, I I'm interested in that stuff, so I was really uh, quite happy to. Because I love, you know, we do mostly tongue-in-cheek stuff, which yeah. I love. You know, like we do killer dolls, dinosaurs, Nazi werewolves. But, you know, and, that, and that's funny. Sounds like you a know? good night out. Yeah, and that's and that's great. I love doing that and not taking it seriously and doing kind of absurd films. But it's nice sometimes to do, you know, because I have an interest in true crime, it's nice to do those as well. Mm. And, um so that is what how that started where you know we did one uh, we tried one uh, cabin 28 and that did well so um they asked for other things and I was obviously I was I had a quite a few other things I was mm. interested in doing they they need to have um mostly an american uh, bent to them because simply that that's our biggest market and weirdly enough um because most british independents um, struggle in the American market, um, but we we don't, and um, that's our best market, and we we do our best business in America, um, yeah. Yeah. which is why you know as much as I'd love everyone to have a Welsh accent in my films, <laughs> you know, and and just go with the, the actual place it was shot in, um, they do ask that we put Americans into the films and. Um, sometimes have you know American settings, obviously, and um, you know it's because because of that it's just our biggest market. So you know there are British true crime stuff I'd like to do, but um, they don't always travel so well to America because mm. obviously American commerce demands American players a lot of the time. You know. Yeah, yeah. So do you find that? Um Sort of lots of you know I know I think over the years I think it's fair to say that sort of uh, British actors have uh, are, are very very adept at adopting transatlantic accents or do you sort of are you you know do you have a pool of sort of uh, American based uh, American actors based here in the UK or yeah, it's, it's a mix really because we do use a lot of which I always find funny because I've I've seen reviews of the films where um and the accents are criticised <laughs> and it's like they are actually American. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's because they've lived over here for a while or what have you, and some of their, uh, you know, vowels aren't aren't the same. I don't know, but um, you know, yeah, we we use there are American actors uh, based in uh, London that we bring down a lot. Um, some Canadians too, um, because sometimes they're they're more adept at doing the American accent. Yeah. Obviously, some some British actors uh, actors do the American accent too for us, but uh, you know I, I'll be the first to you know accept that I guess some are hit, hit or miss. You know, um, it, it's always hard doing an accent. I have massive admiration for actors who can do that because it's amazing that you know you can remember lines, do the accent, and provide you know a believable character. That's a hard work. So. 
you know but yeah we do use a you know a, a great deal of, of real americans uh, in the in the films you know um which is why you know it's always very funny when i mean i remember one one american act, actor in particular did say that he was particularly criticized for uh, not really being, <laughs> being american in a film when he actually is american but okay but, yeah. I, yeah, I remember being back in the day, uh, a long, long time ago, and going to an audition, and somebody telling me that I'm not. Well, I didn't sound Welsh enough, <laughs> and I'm from deepest, darkest Aberdeer, so I don't think you can yeah, get any more than that. I think it's because I don't know. People have a certain expectation of a region, particular region, maybe or something. Yeah, like, yeah, isn't it? yeah. Like, if you don't sync up to that particular region, they they don't think it's good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, strange thing. So at this moment in time, um, have you got any sort of particular projects that you've got the you know that are coming around that are, you're really really looking forward to, or you know something that you're currently working on that you think you know you you want to sort of uh, you're really looking forward to see what the reaction from that is? So uh, yeah, I mean I think uh, it, it, it's interesting. We've got a you know a couple of different types of films that'll come out next year which are um you know that we've done this year like there's, there's a war film that we've done and a, you know a prison film which has come out in america but is coming out in the uk next month and uh, you know they're 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 basically aimed at different audiences which makes them intriguing to me because obviously um you know the with the horror and the B movie stuff, you know that there's a certain demographic who are definitely going to be into that. Um, but yeah, so there's a few films that are a different kind of subject matter. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of demographic they reach, you know, because uh, mm. it's a different kind of thing. Now, in terms of the stuff we're making, I'm obviously did seven films this year, but I'm going. <laughs> And you're going to do uh, four next year because uh, I need to, um, you know, sleep sometimes. So yes, well, it, it catches up yeah. with us all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the but we know what the first two are, and that's um, we're doing a sequel to a, a film we did, uh, The Legend of Halloween Jack, that came yeah. out um, around Halloween and was like has been like one of our biggest sellers. So. Um, it was one of those cases where they they were asking, you know, for another one within like a month of its release. So, you know, you know, it's done pretty well. So I think it got like our highest UK chart position as well. It was like a number 21 or something. And so um, that to me is um, I always find that amazing because, you know, we make them for so little and in such a quick space of time. So it's it's great that, it you know, you we reach sort of the mainstream like that but um you know that's that's what we're doing next now in uh, february which is another a second one of those mm. and at the moment trying to make that you know very kind of um action and set piece orientated a yeah, little bit yeah. it's going to be trying to push some push that further than we've gone before and then there's a film after that uh, which is about um, the Jonestown uh, massacre. From oh wow! Yeah, wow. Eight, which is um, a bit of a different take on it. There was a there's this great uh, 1988 film called uh, Bad Dreams, which yes, was, it's a great. Yeah. Oh, it's great! I love Bad Dreams. Yeah, I love it, and and I, it's an amazing. It's been released re recently this year, I think, by 101 Films. They put out a special edition of it um but before that it was, it was sort of out of print and stuff i yeah. didn't see it anywhere the trailer for that scared the yeah. shit out of me 
Yeah, I lo- I love that film, and I remember renting it back in the day, and the you know whenever that was eighty nine or ninety, it would have been on video over here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I remember renting that, and because it was seen as like a Freddy Krueger ripoff, and but it really isn't. It's so much more than that, and no. uh, it's a really good film. And um, you know, uh, I wanted to do. Something along those lines, not not the same, but the idea of a survivor. So a survivor of a real life thing. Yeah. The yeah. And, and basically, it's about her going back to um, you know where where it took place and trying to put her demons to rest. But uh, actually, she's kind of um, you know haunted by her visions of what happened, and uh, it, it's basically a mix of um, true crime and the real events with kind of what it would be like as a survivor and coping with uh, you know post-traumatic stress and stuff like that mm. but it's definitely aiming to to be along those lines like bad dreams and yeah. uh, i think that's a really underrated uh, film oh because you know? richard lynch is the bad is the is the is the, yeah. is the big bad in that and he's just terrifying in it Amazing. he's got that face and there's the, i always remember the scene in the lift in the elevator yeah, that's just oh just, yeah. Even now thinking about it, you can yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, great film, great, yeah, great, great, great film. Yeah. So so that was kind of an influence on on that. So I'm looking forward to doing that because obviously um, I just really like that film and it'd be nice to do something along those lines. And and we're gonna try in that to to you know make it a little bit more surreal um, and try and do some of the things that they tried to do in like Nightmare on Elm Street where you're not sure whether it was a dream or reality until yeah. some oh, excellent. we're going to try and do a little bit more ambitious stuff really and trying to push what we can do a bit further and you know, we've had uh, discussions with the, the DOP and things like that about, you know, we're going to push things further than we have before. So, yeah. you know, it should be interesting. That's what I'm looking forward to because, you know, we've um, we've ticked the marketing boxes for long enough now that I think, you know, we can, we can try and take more chances and, uh, you know, focus on trying to do different things creatively now as well, you know, so uh, that should be interesting. Yeah, well, well I, I, you, you've, you've definitely got me sold, so I, I, uh, I, I'm looking, really looking forward to that. Um, now, before uh, we sign up, because we've been talking now for the best part of an hour, and I know you're an incredibly busy man, um, no, yeah. is there, you know, is, where can uh, your fans of your film find you on social media and on, uh, you know, out there and uh, out there in the Twitterverse or anywhere else, or is there anything in particular that you want to plug right now? Please let it, let us know. Yeah, no, I'm on uh, Twitter. It's um, at a Jones filmmaker, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm on, I'm on there, and uh, usually uh, I don't uh, do much talking. Um, I think everyone else is saying enough in yeah. the in, on the internet. I don't need to say anything. But um, yeah, I do. I just post links to like you know um, when the film films are up for pre-order and things like that on there. So that's usually a good beacon of information. There's like a North Bank Entertainment. Uh, Facebook page and things like that so uh, we just put information on there of where you know where you can uh, pick up the films and stuff um, and when they're coming out and things like that I mean because that's the other thing when you do um, really low budget films they don't get like big marketing you know the uh, the cover is the marketing so for most people it's just a surprise when they turn up because it's been <laughs> no, no advertising so um, you know but uh 
So it's nice to, on social media, put out some dates and anyone interested can, uh, you know, um, pick it up. Well, you've definitely got a fan uh, uh, on this show at the Undead Wookiee. Um, Mr. Andrew Jones, thank you ever so much for giving up your time on uh, on a Sunday. And uh, I, I, it, was abs- it was fascinating to, you, to speak to somebody... Um, as prolific as yourself and was somebody who's clearly got a passion for for filmmaking and uh and particularly being uh here in wales and making films here in wales is uh is something that i think i feel quite passionate about so thank you very much for your time no thanks Sue. it's been great no i'm definitely you will definitely get you back on and maybe talking about a couple of your other films and uh maybe come, come on and do a review with us yeah, any time. I love I love talking about uh, other people's films more than my own, actually. So, <laughs> so thank you very much, Andrew. I really, really appreciate it. Take care now. Great. Thanks, Hugh. Bye. It was great to have Andrew on, a fascinating guy to speak to, and I hope we're going to have him back on very, very soon. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we got our 50th episode uh, coming up very, very soon, or whenever you listen to this, it may have happened, may not have. That's the joy of podcasting out a sequence. Um, however, one thing I would like to mention is um, in the summer, I shall be dipping my toe into filmmaking myself and I shall be shooting my own 80s inspired slasher movie, School Hall Slaughter. I got a great cast uh, ready to go. I got a great crew, but I need your help, guys. Um, what I would dearly love and appreciate is if you guys can go over to GoFundMe, check out our campaign, and if you can find some some change that you found in the back of the sofa, every little helps. Please leave a donation. Um, everybody on this film has given up their time for free. Um, I got a great cast. I got great um, local talent working on this. Um, I'm very, very excited to be sharing it with you. So go over, check out the GoFundMe page. I've had some fantastic people who have made some wonderful, wonderful donations. Um, And without them, I could not have in any way, shape or form um, got this project up and going. I really, really couldn't have. And I'm so grateful and I am so thankful for you all um, who have uh, made donations. So uh, I'd like to say a couple thank yous to these people. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to Rochelle Flowers, Jude Jones, Ian Watkins, Jay Prowse himself, Wayne Bassett. Now, Wayne is involved in this, okay? And Wayne is going to be writing the fantastic score with some assistance from our very own special effects guy, Mr. Anthony Price. I want a big shout out to Gareth Dighton for his contribution. Um, To Lynn Lane, thank you so much, Lynn. I really appreciate it. To my man over at Cadavercast, along with Al. Thank you, Jeff. Really, really appreciate it. So there are my thank yous to the people who have donated so far. There's going to be more uh, that we've already done on the show, and there'll be more in the future, I hope. So please, ladies and gentlemen, if you can find that, like I said, that a little bit of change down the back of the sofa, go to our GoFundMe page. Every little bit helps. Um, so once again, our time draws to an end. Don't forget you can find us on SoundCloud. On iTunes, please leave us some five-star reviews. Mr. Leighton Winston's going to be back with us very, very soon. Got some exciting uh, things coming up. So please stay with us. I know we can be a little bit, you know, we're a little bit behind on this one, but uh, we'll get there. We'll catch up, honestly, I promise.
So like I said, our time draws to a close on another episode. So it's all that's left for me to say in the immortal words of Count Dracula. Good night out there. Whatever you are. This is our farm cadaver cast. You've been listening to Thunder Wookie. The back.